Hello, and welcome to the Player to Prospect podcast. The following episode features a conversation with Bobby Warnes, who is a volunteer assistant at the University of Arkansas. To support the podcast, all follows, ratings, and reviews are appreciated. And now I present to you Bobby Warnes. How did this fall go for the team? Yeah, no, I think it I think it re- went really well going into the fall, um, especially on my side of the ball. Offensively, we had so many new faces. Mm. I mean, we returned essentially two starters. So that's, I mean, seven of the nine spots um, kind of up for grabs going to the fall. So I think that made the fall a lot of fun. There was a ton of competition. Um, so I think it was kind of as good as we could have hoped for in that respect is we just were, were mm. hoping the guys would kind of embrace um, yeah. the competition going after a job. Um, and that's what ended up happening. So, you know, what that means for this spring, I don't know. Um, but in terms of the fall, it was really good. Uh, just the element of competition was the guys were up for it. So you returned two starters. That is to some teams they might they might be a little alarmed by that Mm -hmm. um but obviously you guys you know being the University of Arkansas I'm sure you guys brought in plenty of talent I do want to ask about that uh in terms of the newcomers um I mean there's so many questions I'll just start with um what's like your guys approach on when you bring them in kind of making them feel like they're part of the team and building that team chemistry yeah, no, I think that happens uh, when you're recruiting them. So I think in a okay. perfect world that's going on, yeah, before they ever get to campus. Um, and yeah, that was kind of the big challenge of this fall is, I mean, we had so many new guys, um, especially offensively, but I mean, on the pitching side as well, we had hmm. some definite holes to fills from guys graduating the draft, um, et cetera. So yeah, I think you try to just build a genuine relationship with them uh, before they ever get to campus, kind of in the recruiting process. Okay. Um, and then, like you said, I mean, we don't have a ton of uh, returning starters, but there's some, you know, freshmen that are returning. Um, and I think that they, as a unit, did an awesome job kind of, um, I don't want to say bringing guys under their wing because a fair amount of them are older. Um, mm. Just kind of just introducing them to the culture, kind of what we expect. And, um, yeah, I think that onboarding process for, for the guys were, was pretty quick and they kind of could hit the ground running. Okay, so – with a team that you guys have, which again is highly talented, do you tell your freshmen when they're coming in, like, hey, if you don't get a whole lot of playing time, like, first off, like, that's to be expected and you need to be ready for when your time comes? Because, like you said, you might have some freshmen that are returning who didn't play a whole lot last year, but now they're expected to step up into a, a bigger role. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, Coach Van Horn always says, and it, it always sticks with me, is um, he, he says, don't waste your freshman year because. Mm. He has, uh, I'm not going to say a name, but one of his former players who um, very successful major league career. And he kind of uh, went to Van Horn after his time at Arkansas and just said, man, I, I completely wasted my freshman year. I just mm-hmm. kind of came in thinking there was older guys ahead of me and I'm not going to really play. Um, ended up being a stud his sophomore junior year and was a really high draft pick. And again, played a good amount of uh, time in the show. Um, but he just says, like, I completely wasted my freshman year. Like, what could have been if I would have, you know, really push to play. Um, so he says that to the team every year is it does not matter who is returning, um, what kind of uh, depth or perceived depth we have is like, you need to, you need to push to play as a freshman. Um, mm-hmm. So to your point, I think that there is just kind of an inherent expectation. Naturally, I'm a freshman. I don't know how I fit into this puzzle, um, yeah. especially with uh, how prevalent the transfer portal is and how those rules have kind of changed the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the SEC on average is a very, very old league. I mean, yeah. there's a lot of experience. Um, but I think we kind of harp on it um, even more so now, because if you have a freshman that's matured enough and finds a way to get in the lineup, 
and can contribute and get a lot of playing time as a freshman year. I mean, that's going to, obviously if they're good enough to help you now, that's going to help your team. But in terms of individually for their career, I mean, you've got a staple for a sophomore, junior year. So I think it's something that we really try to emphasize um, a lot to the guys. Oh, okay. Well, I mean, it makes sense that you want to sort of breed that competition in a team. You don't want them to say like, okay, these are the returners. Like, this is how it's going to go. Um, in terms of the competition building for the fall, how much of the fall is more competition-based as opposed to maybe the individual development side? Um, that's a good question. I guess I would say, I mean, if you hit the home run, pun intended, you kind of have like the competition is infused with, uh, with the development side. Like yeah. you just never really turn off that uh, competition switch. I guess just in our situation, I think this fall there was just a lot more uh, natural competition just because there were so many, there's so many spots up for grabs. Kind of talked about okay. it uh, last year. I mean, we returned a ton of guys last year. And so again, we, we mm -hmm. harped the freshmen like, hey, you need to push and you need to go try to win a job regardless of who was there last year, even if we're returning a starter. Um, so this, this fall kind of went without saying because there was, I mean, there was just so many spots up for grabs. So I think mm. the guys just competed with the, with uh, themselves and just kind of every aspect of it, the development side, obviously, if we were scrimmaging. Um, and so, yeah, I'm excited to see, again, what that means for the spring, I don't know. But mm. I'm excited to think, I think we're going to kind of bear the fruits of those labors, so to speak. Well, I think it's good, too, that you have a team where you can see that there's a lot of good parts and that obviously putting them together is, you know, that's the difficult part. But if that mm -hmm. happens, then it's like, oh, we can see something really great come to fruition. Um, I do want to ask now, considering we've talked about these, you know, a lot of newcomers uh, in terms of those returners, are you establishing them as the leaders or is that something that you're communicating to your players as in it's more of an earned sort of role? Yeah, I think um, I think they earn that role with their teammates. I think that's, that's, it's kind of earned through, you know, their actions, just how they uh, carry themselves. I think of, uh, for example, like a Tavion Josenberger, who was at University of Kansas last year and uh, who transferred in. So he's one of our uh, um, transfer outfitters, and this is his junior year. Um, mm. I think pretty quickly teammates kind of gravitated to him just the way he went about his business. Like he mm. hasn't played an inning of baseball here in Arkansas, but I think that that's going to be a guy um, – that we lean on as, as a leader. Um, so they mm -hmm. kind of have like that one side of the road where that's a transfer who I think just the way he went about his business work ethic. Um, and he's a dang good player too. He's going to be kind of a leader um, on our side of the ball. And then on the other, mm -hmm. uh, other side of the court, we have a guy, Jace Borfin, who we, uh, we have our guys vote for team captains and he's a returner and he got shoot more votes than anybody. And so it's just kind of okay. like, there's two, those are two guys that um, I think of that are just kind of very different. Um, they're very different in terms of their status within the program, but they're both going to be viewed as leaders, I guess is a way to put it. Okay. Did you guys vote on team captains ever since you were playing? We did. Yeah. Mm. Okay. So this has been a tradition kind of. Oh yeah. Yeah. So it's, um, I think it's before we send them home for team break or uh, for Christmas break. That's when you kind of, so after the fall, you kind of know who you have. Okay. And yeah, uh, yeah I mean, it's whoever the guys, you know, we as coaches may think really highly of somebody. And if the guys don't, the guys don't, don't elect him captain, he's not a captain. So it's totally, it's totally their thing, totally voted by them. Okay. So um, I want to stick on the fall 
um, in terms of like team goals, I, I know that it's kind of hard to put those into words because every team is different, uh, like you said, but are there, are there specific things that you guys are trying to accomplish in the fall as a team, at least? Yeah, no, I think um, in a perfect world, you, you kind of want to know what you have at the end of the fall. Um, you want to have a good idea, but I mean, <laughs> that, that's almost never the case. You know, what you have, whether you think a starting rotation on the mound, you're starting nine, you think you, you what you have, and then, you know, you start practicing. So for, I mean, both ways, you know, guys make a really big jump um, over winter break. Some guys come back, maybe they're a step um, behind where you thought you were going to be. So mm. in a perfect world, you kind of just want to know what you have at the end of the fall. Um, and then it almost always changes. Uh to start yeah. spring practice. So yeah, we're, we're getting going today. So, yeah. We're, we're about five, six days away from being able to get hands on with the guys again. Um, so we're all excited to see, uh, see where we're at, but yeah, I mean, usually you have a pretty good feel um, in terms of who you are as a team going into the fall and you just, you hope when they come back, they're better. Yeah. I mean, ideally, obviously the winter scariest point in time, you know, for you guys, that's what I've heard. Um, can, can you talk about uh, what that's like, you know, in five days when you're going to be, getting them back and getting the ball rolling again, what that's like at your school. Yeah. I think what we preach to our guys is um, we'll say for the sake, what you get maybe six weeks, five weeks, they're on their own from the, when finals end to um, when you get practice, mm -hmm. we kind of uh, treat the guys, you know, I mean, every, everyone in our program wants to play professionally when they're done here. And so our kind of message to them is you need to come back better than what you are right now. Because if you mm. plan on playing professionally, as you know, you're going to have four months off and everyone's going to expect you to be better. The farm directors, the general managers, the people making decisions on your career, they're going to expect you to be better. Mm -hmm. um, so we kind of treat it as practice for that. Like if you want to play professionally, here's a six week, you know, kind of demo for what you have to be doing in a couple of years when you have months off. So I think that kind yeah. of motivates guys. And obviously the expectations here kind of go without saying, and they know, the task at hand and what's expected. Um, so I think that kind of helps them push a little bit through that, you know, five, six week period. Mm, interesting. I never really approached it like that, or I never saw it as that. I always saw it as I'm prepping for a college season, but in a way it is actually very similar to the professional thing, just in a smaller sense. Sure. Um, yeah. So for, for that little six week period, do you guys give them like a, their, a plan or is it kind of like, okay, you guys know what you need to work on. It's like, yeah, definitely, definitely. It's definitely structured uh, with a plan, but at the same time, um, th th there's, there's definitely freedom within the plan. Um, like they need to be able to do, you know, what they like, what feels good. Um, I, we, we mm -hmm. think that's important, you know, um, I don't know if that answers your question. Like it's definitely structured. Makes sense. Like there, you got your exit meetings that you're sitting down with them. So they kind of have their roadmap of what needs to be done. Um, but yeah, we, and I guess that's the same in the fall and in the spring, like they have, they have freedom to do what they, what they want, what they like in the, in the kind of constraint of, um, the hmm. plan itself. So, yeah. see, I, I like that. I like the sound of that in terms of giving players freedom to do what they want. But I also want to ask in terms of the day-to-day, -day um, like inner workings of your guys' team, I would expect your practices to be heavily structured and very well planned out. So can you maybe like walk me through one of those practices and how that typically goes? Sure. So are we talking practice like um, in the fall, like a team practice, or are we talking winter where we're a little bit more individualized? Let's do a team practice in the okay, fall. So 
what we do and if we have like an ncaa counted practice we're almost always scrimmaging oh okay we, we scrimmage a ton in the fall yeah which is all i mean it's i mean the best way to get better baseball is playing baseball we you know we yeah. so i mean from the best hitting drill we do is having to face our pitchers and i'd like to think the best pitching drill that we do is having to face our hitters um mm -hmm. yeah if it's a counted practice day we're always scrimmaging so what that goes into is we'll have like our early hitting period. This is uh, essentially like your game day BP. Now within that, so you have the structure of game day BP, but we have, uh, have however many hitters we have in the fall, like they all have different batting practices. So they have a sheet and it's mm -hmm. just very tailored to them. So it's not like we're all going oppo around here. It's like a fair amount of guys may, but there's, so there's individuality within that. Um, mm -hmm. And about halfway through the fall, the guys have a pretty good idea in terms of their own BP, they're just shouting it out to whoever's throwing BP. They know what we're doing. Everyone's on the same page. Um, hmm. and sometimes that changes uh, throughout the year. You know, if something then, you know, we see needs to change in their development, we can we can pivot that pretty um, pretty easily. So that's kind of an example of what you say. Like you have the structure of we have practice. We here's our we're taking BP, but it's no one's no one's taking the same BP. It's individualized. Mm -hmm. Um, then after that, you have you kind of a, we'll say a team fundamental, whether, you know, your button coverages, pop-up communication, just anything like that. And so the variability with that is, I mean, it, it could be something new every day. And then mm -hmm. that rolls into uh, like a little pregame in and out, and then and then you're playing. Um, so mm -hmm. you have the, it can, it can be shaken up a little bit leading up to the game. And then obviously the game is the game. Let's bring it back to the BP, though. You mentioned that it's very individualized. Has that always been the case, maybe even dating back to, like, when you were playing? Not as much. When I was, So my last year at Arkansas would have been 2015, and it was definitely more of a kind of traditional, we're all oppo, we're all middle, we're all pole, now we're all yep. back, oh, there's your day. Mm -hmm. um, which there's definitely value to that. Um, but our hitting coach, Nate Thompson, he, he does a fantastic job with our guys and he just he puts a lot of thought into it. And there's just a lot of moving parts behind the scenes. Um, and so some of the guys may may not think much of it. This, uh, this is my batting practice, but there's there's definitely intent and purpose um, behind those custom BPs and just really trying to help them. Um, mm. Yeah, just yeah, kind of make make incremental strides forward. I don't know if that answers your question. It, it does. Well, see, I'm a huge proponent of just the individualization of baseball. What's your take on that? Like, what, like, do you think that's bad? Like, it sounds like you think that that is a, you know, a good philosophy for, at least for the batting practice side of things. But what about the rest of baseball, the rest of like how a player individually develops? Like, I just want to know your take on that. Just like the, the trend that's going towards, you know, yeah. development that is indi like hyper individualization now. Well, I think it has to be because, I mean, if you dig down in the nitty gritty, like very rarely, are people like at a granular or smaller level, like have the same issues. Like maybe they have some bigger overarching issues, but I mean, like, I feel like I'm trying to have to use you as an example. Like I imagine you mm -hmm. as a pitcher, you know, overarching, whether it be uh, you struggle commanding the zone. Like, yeah, I mean, there's several pitchers in the Royals organization maybe that have that issue, but like, why is that the case? Yeah. Like why it's not happening for you is probably much different than the guy next to you. So I think there's obviously some very, um, for example, on the offensive side, like you've got to be able to be like low and flat to the back side of the field. We talk about like a power up, mm. like if we're going to, we got to be able to use the opposite side of the field with a lower trajectory. Like everyone's got to be able to do that. Mm. If they can't, there could be different reasons why. So that's where you kind of dig into the individual BP. So instead of just having everyone go um, 
a power opposite field round, you can kind of tinker with it in terms of uh, maybe putting them in a position where they can control that side of the field better, just for like a specific example. Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah, that clearly makes a lot of sense at how different guys have different issues and causes for why they might be failing, even if it's the same thing as other people. So now I want to ask for you specifically, or at least at your school specifically, in terms of evaluating your players and uh, the tools that you guys may use for individual development, um, can you elaborate on what you guys like to use a little bit more, whether like video, you know, all data, something like that, yeah. or just kind of the eye test? Yeah, no, I think um, we're very fortunate here. We have we have access to pretty much any tool that we could want, which is we're very, very fortunate. I know that's not the case everywhere. Mm -hmm. um, so we try to be really good with them and we try to use them as much as possible. And we're very big on um, like the tools on what we are. It's like how we use them is very important. Mm. So we're, again, we have access to virtually every tool and we just try to use them very, very well. Um, another thing we're big on is it, we never want it to be the main thing. We just want it to mm. be kind of a supplement. So kind of the cherry on top. Like we don't need you thinking about your episode of data on the mound. We don't need you thinking yeah. about any sort of track man, bad ball profile when you're hitting. Like that's just kind of an analogy we like using. Like is if you're driving a car, you're not really thinking about all the internal workings. You're just put on the gas with a steering wheel. Like that's kind of mm. how you want to play the game. Yeah. So I think we do a great job of having the tools that are always kind of running in background, but at the same time, it's um, it's not the main thing we do. It's just kind of the cherry on top. Okay, I see. And you're right. A lot of people can get bogged down by the numbers, the analytics, the biomechanics of whatever it is. And that can kind of mess with the mental game too. Like that can oh, really sure. impact like you on the mental side. About, yeah, if you're thinking about that, then you're not really thinking about the game. Now, I will say on the other side of the coin, I'd say we have five to 10% of the guys that just absolutely eat it up, love it, want all the information, they're curious about it. And so we need to be good mm -hmm. enough to be able to present it to them too. Mm -hmm. And they need to be, yeah, they need to kind of have that box checked as well. So you know, depending on who you are, I think if I'm being honest, just kind of like our default, kind of how we handle that is we're not bogging down guys with information. Okay. I see. I think that's a good idea too. Yeah. Like, like you said, like there are some guys where they, they know everything and they need it. They need it. They want it. Mm -hmm. But then again, it could be too much. It could be overwhelming. No doubt. Yeah. And in terms of like the mental side of it too, do you guys uh, focus on that or at least try to implement some sort of practices or some maybe philosophies for your team uh, just so they can be a little bit better battle tested, I guess is the word. No doubt. Yeah, no, that's a huge part of what we do. Um, and again, I think a lot of it just kind of naturally breeds from the way we run things, the, mm. the expectations, just how good everyone is around you. Like if you're fighting for a spot, like you, you kind of have to be locked in every day. So it's not like, mm. I don't think we do like, uh, you know, mental conditioning drills or anything. It's just kind of the everyday of being out on the field, um, playing for a Hall of Fame coach and his expectation and standard is way up here. Mm -hmm. um, I just kind of, that, that kind of gets you battle tested. And then uh, you go into the weight room afterwards with uh, Hunter Bell, our new strength coach, who's just done an absolutely fantastic job this fall. Like he, he gets after him. It's just, mm. it's just going through the day-to-day -day training of everything kind of, I think, mentally conditions our guys. I see. Okay. Can we actually talk about the uh, strength and conditioning in terms of that? Cause I feel like different programs sort of uh, weave it into their, um, their fall in different ways, whether it's, we've got guys doing early lifts, you know, maybe we have a lot of guys who like to lift 
after scrimmages, practices, whatever it is. Um, but also just maybe if, if you're aware, just kind of how your strength guy likes to go about it. Yeah. So you mean like from a timing perspective, like when they lift or just, yeah, maybe the schedule, but also, um, if that is also individualized, I'm curious about that mm-hmm. too. Cause it seems like for your guys' program, individualization is like a pillar of how you guys yeah, I think like fair. to approach your players. Yeah. So I think, I guess from a scheduling perspective, um, he does not like going, we, as a staff, we do not like going like early morning lifts, um, hmm. just from a, you know, the guys don't get as much out of, out of those, lifts, if we're just being honest. And I get the, uh, you know, the mental toughness, the, Hey, it's a little bit of a grind to get up at five or 6 AM. That's really not something that is, um, as a staple of what we do. It's more, you know, after they've had class, after they've had a good amount to eat. Cause I mean, that's hmm. a big six. Like, even if you get to bed at a really good time, I mean, you're going to want to have a good breakfast. And if we're being honest, I mean, you're not that far removed. How many college kids are getting to bed at the right time and they're going to eat something good? Like if those two things don't happen, yeah. we, can, we can tell them we can. Um, but if mm-hmm. we just we, we just need to be smart about stuff like that. Now, I'll say um, once we're in that kind of winter session, we give our guys the weekends off once we get off the field. Mm-hmm. In fall. So we will go um, Friday morning lifts those days. Mm-hmm. Um and we let, we have a little, we have some fun with them. And that's kind of like, you go, we do what you want to do on the weekend. Um, mm. Coach Vaughn's awesome about letting the guys um, get out. We have a lot of hunters. Um, so that's kind of when they uh, get to do that, go home if they want to. Um, so that's kind of the only time that we'll do like an early morning lift just to give the guys time to uh, get out of town if that's what they want to do. But in mm-hmm. terms of like, um, Second part of your question was help me remind like how how integrated it is. I mean, I, I'm talking with our strength coach every day about stuff. Yeah, um, I, I'm also I'm kind of trying to modify it right now actually in my head because I know some teams like to do uh, like an Omaha challenge where they're kind of trying to breed some competition through strength and conditioning and also sort yeah. of team building in that sense. Do you guys do one of those things? Yeah, so we so we don't do like an Omaha challenge so to speak so to say. But okay. We'll, uh, like do some challenges, kind of like a one-on-one situation, like this guy mm. versus this guy at the end. And it's kind of like, you choose who you think is going to win. And that, that kind of mm. breeds uh competition. That's um, yeah, really fun to watch as a coach and uh, very okay. happy that I don't have to do it. You know, that was years yeah. ago. Way, way more yeah. fun to go back and watch that. But um, yeah. yeah, so we don't do like a big team Omaha challenge in the weight room, nothing like that. But we do kind of do smaller individual challenges. Oh, okay, cool. I actually like that. I've never really been a part of the whole like one-on-one sort of thing. But then when you have that. Be like me versus you doing something. And then yeah. okay, half the team or you you stand on whatever side. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Everything's going to win the particular challenge. And then if you're on the wrong side, you got to do some sort of, um, conditioning punishment, but, uh, yeah, sometimes some mopey eyes, some guys I thought were boys with who's on the, on the other side. Yeah. <laughs> it gets real. Yeah. I like that though. That's good. I, I it's fun. That is fun. That's, and yeah, that's what it should it's be. It's a blast to watch. Mm-hmm. That's what it should be. And you know, I, the, especially with the competition side, I know you guys probably have to carry that into these five or six weeks leading up into the season. Can you talk about what that's going to be like too? maybe not just, um, like what I asked about earlier in terms of like how you get the ball rolling, but what that buildup period is like right up into the season. Yeah, it's, um, I mean, you got to be able to hit the ground running. That's another thing we stress to the guys. Yeah. Um, like I said earlier, you kind of, um, 
we frame it to them a lot of times like this is your this is kind of a trial of your pro ball offseason like you have your six mm -hmm. weeks you have to come back better where when you guys play professionally you'll have your four or five months yep so that's kind of the biggest thing we stress but also um like we only have a month like i think it's a month to the day from when they get back to which that's a that's a whole nother topic of conversation we should be able to have more time but that's that's a here or there yeah so i think they realize how how little time we have so that's just kind of another emphasis on them coming back ready to go i think it's very similar to uh like a fall setup and so like we'll, we'll start scrimmaging as soon as the pitchers are ramped up and ready i mm. think we do a lot more um bunk coverages handling the ball stuff like that running the plays that we're going to have in the spring like we don't do a whole lot of that in the fall in the fall it's a whole lot about a, a lot more about um developing your your defensive skills offensive skills um, playing the games and then you kind of and the spring or uh yeah in the early spring kind of leading up to the first game is when you get into the bunk coverages uh the plays the, the stuff like that okay okay i mean yeah it, it's kind of hard to to really like take that or all those things that you said you, you're working on in the winter in the fall and then to expect them not to forget about it in the winter as well yeah no that's a good point i guess we don't we haven't thought of it like that or i haven't thought of it like that but more of just from a training economy standpoint like it's it's just much more important to just get them as good as possible baseball players wise and we'll, we'll sprinkle in the because mm. um, it's obviously very important it's not like we don't do it in the fall because we don't think it's important it's, it's incredibly important it'll win and lose you games um yeah. And then obviously like your fall team is bigger and then your spring team is, is, is smaller, more intimate. So that's when you can kind of go over signs, just like little stuff like that. Mm. So again, it's important, but it's just the timing of it. Um, and in the winter or uh, early spring, you know, from a weather standpoint, we have a um, beautiful uh, indoor facility, uh, Fowler family building, mm -hmm. um, where we do a lot of bunk cover stuff. It's just easier to hear just the communication like coaches teaching um, than out on the field. So that's another reason why we do it that way. Yeah. You mentioned um, that you you believe that guys should be able to come back earlier and you guys should be able to start earlier as well. I'm kind of confused because I've been diving into some of these rules and obviously like the, the one we just talked about before starting recording in terms of like adding, you know, uh, another paid assistant. Like that's a great thing that they just passed. But I'm still finding a lot of rules that frankly just I'm very confused by, I don't really understand it. That being one of them, I've <laughs> heard that during the winter break, you guys aren't really allowed to communicate with them so much as well. Um, I don't know. I'm kind of just curious of like what your take is on that. And then also how you guys would um, change the way that you guys coach if you were given more freedoms to do so. Yeah. So that's certainly a loaded question. I would say yeah, I mean, it is. people that have, <laughs> that make these rules are certainly small smarter than i am so i'm definitely not trying to say that i have uh yeah i have all the answers i guess my perception is i think that these rules are probably made for other sports in mind mm. or general welfare of student athletes which is incredibly important and then yeah. just kind of applied the baseball reason or the, the main thing i'm getting at is like a, like a pitcher's arm like that ramp mm. up that's different than any other sport yeah to put a pitcher on the same constraint as a soccer player about a volleyball player a golf or whatever that that's not that's not smart that's not right mm. so that is kind of like if we could get them earlier just to where the from a physical conditioning standpoint again i think i'm mean, gonna i'll use um pitching as an example because i think that's the most obvious um yeah 
most obvious case is just they they need more time and it's safer you know if instead of them mm-hmm. getting ramped up at home they can be around coach hobbs or pitch or our pitching coach coach bell our strength coach like that to me is kind of some low-hanging fruit that if that would change that would be i that'd be in the best interest of everybody yeah. you know they're not they're not having to go to class there's and i, I get the other the other um, side of that you know there's always unintended consequences with rules you know, just people go crazy with that. Now they're at the field for whatever, you know, I, I get it. I get that there's always going to be a rebuttal. Um, yeah. But yeah, I think from a pitching standpoint, exact or specifically, mm-hmm. you know, it'd be really, really nice for uh, us to get our hands on them a couple weeks early, just from yeah. an arm safety standpoint. Yeah. Have you followed uh, the new rule that's passed? I'm sure you've obviously heard about it, like we just talked uh, about changing this uh, volunteer role into a more of a full-time position. I guess I yes. should say congrats, by the way, for like being <laughs> good for the sport. No doubt. Yeah. Yes. Um, I do want to ask uh, if there's any like details in that, uh, that you've at least uh, n- like realized is like a huge change as opposed to just being, you know, as a volunteer and now promoted to a full-time coach. Sure. So from a baseball standpoint, it's not a whole lot has changed. So it's not necessarily mm. that you're adding a body. It's just okay. someone who's always there. Is essentially just getting paid a salary through the school. So for those that yeah. don't know, it's kind of most people in my position are getting paid just through a different avenue, different uh, yeah income stream, whether that be camps, fundraise, like just the it's if you're not getting paid a salary through the school. Yeah. So this rule is you can legally, and I, I, I don't think you have to, I don't think this rule is making anyone do it. So there could certainly be schools that, that choose not to, I guess. And hmm. I don't know how many that or how many schools that will apply to. Um, the biggest thing that changes from like a baseball standpoint is it gives you another body on the road. So, yes. or, sorry, road, road recruiting. So you yeah. have before the rule is three guys. So usually it's your head coach, pitching coach and hitting coach are all mm-hmm. Now, what a lot of schools do, and we've done this too, is like the head coach will go off the road for whatever reason, and then that gets your volunteer on the road. He gets a recruiting waiver. So now you that won't be necessary is you'll have the ability to have four bodies on the road instead of three. Mm. So that's the biggest tangible change I think that people would could see. Obviously, the salary, the benefits, the, all of that is, is awesome. That's going to be a thing. You're going to have more steady income um as a third assistant but the the biggest change is um getting that extra guy on the road okay yeah i actually wasn't aware of that um in terms of recruiting too um does your school have like a specific philosophy in terms of um who you're going and trying to get um is it we're we're building heavily more on high school guys are we looking specifically at jc guys heavily is the transfer portal now the main hub for where we look for players and especially now with how it's changed over the last couple of years and how it probably will change uh even more um so i'm curious about that yeah that's a good question um i think if you do it right and if you do it perfectly, which you almost never do, it's just, it's so, it's so, yeah, it's such a ball. It's never an exact science, but you mm-hmm. always want your foundation to be high scores because mm-hmm. that's given you, we always talk about three years because you hope that they're, uh, you know, junior, you plan on them being drafted. Um, and there's obviously some draft eligible sophomores sprinkled in, but if, if you hit mm-hmm. right, you really want the, uh, the core of your, um, 
team to be high school freshmen that have, that have mm. come in. Get them for three years. The three years with their with your program, you know, you you can do a lot with them in three years. Mm. Um, in terms of the junior college, the transfer portal, that's um, you want that to supplement. Like if you ever get into a uh, into a spot where um, you know the transfer portal, the junior college is just like that's the majority of your team. Mm. I, it's very very hard to sustain that. Unsustainable. Yeah. Um, if you have to do it for a year, I get that. But if it, if it's year in year out, it's just the majority of your team is transfer portal. I think just from a from like a kind of a locker room um, culture thing, you know, that's something the that coach Van Horn is very very aware of. You know, if you're bringing in a ton of different guys from different spots consistently, that it, it, it can be hard um, to sometimes be all on the same page. So mm-hmm. I like to, um, like if we're just using us as an example, like I said, we lost a ton of. Um, a ton of guys from last year's team. Last year's team, very, very special group, um, um, especially on the offensive side of the ball. You lose seven of them that were mm-hmm. everyday starters. Um, so we have a handful of freshmen, a um, handful of guys that were in the program from last year that are also going to step up into those roles. So it's not like yeah. we're going to be so heavily dependent on the uh, the junior college transfer, the uh, the transfer portal guy. What well, the good thing about oh, – there's there, there are several good things, good things about the transfer portal um, – but one of the good things about the transfer portal is you, you know what you're going to get usually um, with a four-year yes. transfer. Mm-hmm. Junior college, um, you know, there's a lot of really good players in junior college. I would play junior college baseball um, mm-hmm. before I played here in Arkansas. Um, it's a little bit more, I don't want to say a coin flip, but it's a little, like, it's a lot harder to project that jump. Junior college of the SEC. Certainly. You have a, some a division one to division one transfer. It, it's just, you can project that jump a little bit easier. Yeah. And obviously the transfer portal, there's so much talent there are so many people that are hopping into it now it seems like every six months so how do you guys identify those players um like what what are the things that stick out for those players um in your guys eyes where you're like okay yeah this is a guy that we want yeah i mean i think a transfer portal the easiest thing is just like overall production like you can Mm. tell you know yeah you can look on a on a spreadsheet and i mean if they're a good player or not um I mean, there's some players that, you know, you play against that kind of just like if you were recruiting a high school kid or I mean, if you just see them play and they do something that kind of jumps out at you, um, Mm -hmm. obviously it's not like you act on them because they're at a different school, but you, I mean, you're crazy to think that people don't see other people on a different teams and go, well, shoot, if that guy ended up being a portal piece, that, that could be something. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, I think that that, that, that's usually easier as you, uh, if it's a division one to division one transfer, I mean, if they, you know, if they had a good year, um, and then they get in the portal and then you just do a little bit of background, uh, homework on who they are as a person, locker room guy, all that stuff. And just make sure there's no red flags there. Um, yeah. like it's, it, it's a lot easier to project portal guys mm. and school, junior college, stuff like that. Yeah. So high school guys are not as projectable, but is it the same philosophy for at least recruiting them? You know, it's like, we just want guys that at whatever level they're competing at, they're just producing or is it more than that i think the best way to think about it would be if you're recruiting a high school kid you're almost looking at it more like a professional scout and that i mean the recruiting happens earlier and earlier now but let's say mm, it's a freshman yeah. or sophomore you know you don't need them to win a game six months from now you need them to win a game three years from now so it's just that mm-hmm. projectability you're you're betting on you're guessing on that's way more like if you're having to project out a transfer portal guy, that's not the right, that's not the right guy. <laughs> like he needs to, he needs to help you this year. Yeah. Um, 
so yeah, I guess more of like a transfer portal guy, maybe like the eye test or like if a good body, bad body, like you kind of throw that all out the window. Like, are you a good baseball player today or not? Um, whereas mm-hmm. a high school kid, that's probably more of a, uh, more of a factor, which again, is kind of why I think of it. You're maybe more like how professional baseball does their scouting. Like they're, they're mm-hmm. looking at seniors in high school, juniors in college, whatever. And it's, they don't need them to win games today. They need them to win games three or four years from now. Mm, okay, I see that. Wow, it is actually a lot like Pro Bowl now that you say it. Um, yeah. What What about NIL? How has that uh, influenced your guys' uh, ability to recruit players? And obviously, you guys, you know, you, you guys are a, a very obviously not not only good program, but a, I would assume a well endowed program. But you also are competing with the best of the best in terms of the recruiting as well. So I want to know what that's like. Yeah, no, that's uh, we could talk for a really long time on NIL. Um, yeah. And you got to be careful in terms of what's what's legal. I mean, it's just kind of it's just a whole new. It's so new. Yeah. So I think I think it's a great thing. Like our our guys should be able to to make money doing what they do. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it's an awesome thing, especially in this uh, partial scholarship sport, like every sort of supplementary income, supplementary income. is a big deal and should should be chased. Um, Yeah. I guess what I'll say about our situation is we have amazing fans, businesses, boosters that just really, really love what we do. Um, yeah. And so from an NIL perspective, I think we're uh, we're in just about as good a spot as anybody, which is, is really exciting because that's just, it's like you said, it's a new wave. Mm-hmm. Um, does that answer your question? It's It does. I want to ask, like, just like for the high schoolers, like, I don't know if you guys necessarily have to use that for the high schoolers, but maybe you guys get high schoolers that ask about that. I would assume that they've got to be asking about that. I think it depends on the person. And I think the, uh, you know, a good thing about, and again, just like you don't, you, you can, you don't promise kids anything like that's, that's illegal. That's not something that you can do. Yeah. Um, but you can kind of explain to them what guys on the team have, have, have earned for themselves. Sure. Yeah. There's an NIL collective and I, I everyone on the team is, is getting something. Hmm. Well, that's, I mean, yeah, that's definitely a anomaly in terms of like a program, obviously. Um, okay. So besides NIL, in terms of when you're high, uh, recruiting high school players, because again, I think this is something that is uh, always changing. It's always evolving. How often do you guys utilize technology in the recruitment of high school players, especially when you're evaluating an arm, but maybe as a bat too, just like how important technology really comes into play? Yeah. So I think uh, we use it as much as we can or as much as it's available. Okay. Um, I think, and I tell high school kids this, like it, I think it only helps you whether mm. you're throwing on track, man, you're hitting with a blast sensor. Like it can only help you. Like there's never going to be, at least I don't think, you know, a freshman or sophomore that we think is a good baseball player. If his, you know, track man profile or blast, blast numbers aren't what we think are league average yet, but we think they're a good baseball player. We're not going to write them off. Now, on the other coin, or on the other side of the coin, if it's something that's really elite or something jumps off the page, like that will help you. So I yeah. think it only helps uh, amateur kids. Now, the older they get, obviously, that changes a little bit. Um, so, yeah, we try to uh, – we very rarely use it with the young kids to write kids off. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah like if, if an eighth grader's blast numbers aren't very good, it's not like we're – dude, they're five years away. Um, yeah, yeah. So we'll never write a kid off because of it. It only, it only helps them. It only helps them kind of get noticed. Okay. That's interesting because, because mm-hmm. uh, obviously there's, you know, outliers in the bad sense, 
you know, of, oh yeah, these metrics are not so good, you know, but it is a combination. It is both. You need, you need to pass the eye test a little bit, but then also the numbers kind of like, um, what's the word? They kind of confirm like how you're, how sure. you're feeling about a player. You and know, I think so. more than more times than not, it's that way. It's more times than not a good baseball player has good, you know, behind the scenes numbers, so to speak. They look good on a spreadsheet. Like there's very rarely guys that don't check a couple boxes. Like, yeah, rarely, yeah. It's just unbelievable. And he just is on paper bad, I guess, if that makes sense. Yeah. Would you say, um, so besides the physical traits, the numbers, um, would you say off the field behavior or uh, how you treat your teammates and stuff like that, you know, the sort of intangibles that a lot of coaches talk about, would you say those are more important in terms of things you guys are looking for or things you identify and you say, okay, I can't recruit this player? More important, I guess equally as important, so very important. Okay, I, I, yeah, I yeah. It's hard to, it's hard for me to, to, you know, describe how or compare, you know, being a good dude on and off the field versus being a good baseball player. I mean, both are important. Mm -hmm. Um I think our guys do a pretty dang good job. I guess if you're if you don't, you know, get along with your teammates or there, there's off the field issues, you're, you're just not going to really make it here. And I think that's the case in a lot of um, programs. It's just yeah. it's it's not worth the the squeeze isn't worth the juice or whatever you want to say. It, it, yeah, yeah, it just probably won't work um, at, a, at a at a big time place or any place mm -hmm. for that matter. Yeah, I've heard a lot of coaches talk about how they specifically look for that while they are out on recruiting trips, while they are watching players in games. Mm -hmm. um, is that something you guys do too? Absolutely. Yeah, we got a, hmm. we got a, um, you know, we get we have to know as much as possible about the player that we're recruiting, we're trying to sign. Um, hmm. And yeah, so I guess that's like the value of going to a game. Mm -hmm. it's you can get video sent to you on twitter you can have a coach send you like a video of a swing a bullpen like that's really good but like there's some value to how they bounce on and off the field yeah how they handle stuff in the dugouts i mean how i think of it is you know if they're a turd in the to their teammates or in the dugout it's not like that's just the one thing that's wrong with them and they're great at everything else like that's probably leaking into something else that you don't yeah. see Absolutely. Um, so it's just kind of just gathering as many clues i guess as you can Mm. Um, and you know, I, if I'm being honest, there have been some people that we have signed, committed here. That, there have been some red flags in that respect. Mm. Um, you know, there, there, there's something off the field, but we've had pretty good luck of when guys kind of get in, you know, our culture, and then just you know, again, playing for Coach Van Horn, just a lot of that stuff kind of cleans up. Now, if you have mm. several guys like that, I don't think that's a. But Coach Van Horn always says, like, we can get away with one turd, but after that, it's a little bit uh, <laughs> dicier. So that's kind of like kind of like the DH. You, you only have one DH. You only have one turd. That's what I'm going to start saying. That's funny. Oh, my gosh. Wow. I, I never heard that. And uh, the, the confidence that you guys have to be able to bring those guys in, and it sounds like it's worked before, that's impressive as well. And you mentioned Twitter videos. That's interesting you mentioned that because that obviously wasn't a thing. I don't know five years ago was it even or 10, played, yeah. 10 years ago yeah like it wasn't a thing so how, how impactful is that in terms of just like you just see a video and you're like oh yeah i might go see this guy no for sure it's easy and i mean we have guys that'll send us i mean every day i get we all get i mean i was gonna ask it like how often several. you get so I mean, many videos and we watch every single one we really? watch every single one. If the, yeah, if a kid takes the time to send us, yeah, I'll watch every single one. 
Um, maybe okay. that kind of opens our eyes though. Like we need to, uh, now what gets sticky is depending on the age, you can't message them back. And then the way recruiting rules, it's just a circus in that respect. Um, yeah. but no, I'll read every email I'm sent, every video, I'll watch every video. I'm, I mean, because there's, it's worth it. I mean, if that guy's good enough to help us win a championship, then yeah, you, you, you gotta do it. Hmm. In terms of like sizing of each class, is that something you guys like monitor and you're like, okay, like we, we need to keep it to a certain number or it's like, okay, this year there just happens to be so many talented guys that we were able to get. Cause obviously like just managing a roster is so difficult. So I want, yeah. I'm just curious how, like how you guys maybe go about that um, yeah, you, for your guys' you, teams. You definitely have to, it's uh, yeah, it's year to year. Um, Devin flow for sure. Yes. So. And so you, you're projecting who you're going to lose in the draft. Um, mm -hmm. and just how many pieces you have to replace. And that, in that respect, like a portal or a Juco, that kind of, that, 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 that makes it a little bit easier mm -hmm. um, where you can kind of grab a guy at the last minute if you're under, but yeah, it's definitely, um, cause I mean, we have that, that 35 man roster, that, that hard set. Um, yeah. Yeah. You can't, you can't be over that. So, okay. Wait, hold on. I was going to ask something. I already forgot it though. Well, okay. So I guess what I'm asking is like, it's so tough though, because like you said, it's an ebb and flow and obviously you can't have it over the 35, but it's like, okay. But if this guy's really good, like, and I have to get him, like, do you just yeah. pass on him or, or so it's like, level, okay, like yeah. we, we can, if, we'll see what we can do. At our level, um, you know, you can make kids early. Yeah. No one is naive enough that's going to be watching this. Like, sometimes kids don't make it to campus that you originally commit. Like, well, that ha yeah, that happens more than people total, think. Probably, total, um, just unintended consequences. Just a part of the game that sucks, honestly. Um, yeah. And so, I, you know, I think, especially compared to the rest of the league, I think we do an amazing job in terms of guys that we commit. They end mm -hmm. up getting. Now, of course, since I've been here, there have been some. There have been a handful of kids that committed at a young age. It just, for whatever reason, it doesn't happen. Mm. In my experience, they they have all understood and got it. And honestly, they they usually know I'm probably not good enough. Mm. So, in our experience, you know, being upfront with the kid, giving them the opportunity to uh, to do something else, um, they've been very appreciative. And again, I mean, it's only happened a couple of few times since I've been here, of course, of course it's happened. I'd be lying if I said, yeah. we never, never had to cut ties with the kid. Um, but in every situation they've been, they've been appreciative of the honesty and that they get it. They, they don't want to waste a year figuring out that they, they, they can't do it and they, where they could have been somewhere else. Yeah. But it's, it's, it's the worst part of what we do for sure. It's a, yeah, yeah. it's just a part of the business. I kind of want to ask now what's been, What's been like the biggest adjustment for you going from player at University of Arkansas to coach, changing those roles? I would say, well, you just kind of have a behind the curtains operation of how everything's ran. Whereas mm. when you were a player, you did not. Yeah. As a player, there's so many stuff, so much stuff behind the scenes that happened, or you didn't understand why things were happening. Mm. We're now kind of behind the curtain. It's just, it all makes a lot more sense kind of an all access look, so to speak. Was it difficult to kind of uh, separate yourself from the players considering you're obviously like a younger for a coach? Yeah, so 
by the time I came back to coach, I was older. So I went, signed as a junior, played four years professionally, and coached mm-hmm. two years professionally, and then came back. So it was six or seven years since I had played. So there was really no overlap. Um, mm-hmm. I guess the funny thing is Kevin Copps, Golden Spikes winner. Yeah. If I would have stayed my senior year, I would have played with him. So he was just so old. And that was like, there was almost <laughs> overlap. Um, yeah. So I guess, no, it wasn't. Cause I mean, that, by the time I got to Arkansas, I had been coaching. That would be my third year. Um, okay. As a coach, and I didn't play with any of the guys. Um, so thankfully I didn't, there, there, I, it was pretty easy to disconnect. Now I know that there's a lot of people that go through that. Like they go straight from playing right to coaching. It's like, you're coaching some teammates um, that you have like that. Yeah. I feel like that's pretty tough. Like you have to be really mature and you kind of have to set some boundaries from tip. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I didn't really have to go through that, but I know there's several people that do. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. But you didn't, you obviously, you know, you had your playing career professionally after, um, after being at the university of Arkansas, I want to ask when, uh, or at what point in time you knew you wanted to start coaching? Was it day one? Was it at once you stopped playing? Oh, but sophomore year of high school, freshman year of high school, I knew and I was going to play as long as they'd let me. And then yeah. when I got done, um, which is exactly what happened. Yeah. I just, I've been lucky enough to play for some awesome coaches that just kind of inspired me. And I just, I, mm. I, I want to be them. And so that was, um, and shoot, I was freshman or sophomore year of high school. I knew I'm, I'm mm. I want to coach. Are there any coaches specifically that like in mind, like maybe a, a point in time that stood out to you where you're. Yeah. High school coach, Bill McDonald, he was a Kansas hall of famer, tons of state championships, mm. but just, the way he could teach the game, the way he taught you about life. And you kind of don't really know he's teaching you about life until after the fact, like really good at that. And mm. reminds me a lot of Coach Van Horn. Um, hmm. two, two of the same, really kind of cut from the same cloth. And then uh, when I got the pro ball, a guy named Warren Schaefer, um, mm-hmm. who is now, he was a manager uh, for me in AA in Hartford. And he is now the third base coach uh, in the big leagues with the Rockies. Um, but just an incredible man of faith. Just, I mean, great teacher of how to how to live your life and how it just kind of how baseball fits into all of it um mm. learned a lot about um yeah stuff like that from him so i think those three uh huge huge impacts on me have you thought about what you do if you weren't gonna be a coach though once your playing career ended no because i mean i think i've always been dead set on it. i'm sure if you asked my wife it would be yeah. something to pay them. um <laughs> yeah, would you want me to do something like that? Um, I don't know. I man, if I had to pick right now, if I wasn't a coach, I guess maybe like a real estate agent or something like that. Mm. Where you're working with people, like, a lot. like oh, it's all yeah. It's got to be some with people. Love, love talking to people. Love, yeah, love talking to people. Love being around people. Um, yeah, maybe in sales or something. In some fashion, that's essentially what recruiting is. Um, uh-huh. Except recruiting, like you really love what you're selling. Like it's, it's fun to sell here. Um, yeah. It just have to be something fun to sell. Um, I've not put a lot of thought into it because thankfully I, I I like what I do and I hope I get to do it for a long time. Yeah. No, good. Stick to the plan A. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We don't need a plan B. That's, that's all right. You can have plan B when plan A, you know, 
if that if that goes sideways but it, it's not gonna for you i can tell or at least i i have faith that it won't um but you, you but you said you have something that you love your that you're selling um can you tell me like your favorite thing about the university of arkansas as a school first shoot i mean again i could talk about this for a really long time i guess the biggest <laughs> thing for me is just i i got to live it as a player i just i just know exactly how just what you're getting how well you're treated as a student athlete i mean you're mm-hmm. i'll never forget i came from a junior college i'm in the fall and I'm, I'm grocery shopping at walmart and i have fans coming up and talking to me it's like i have not played in any oh, wow. base in arkansas and they like that's how plugged in they are it's like you're a yeah. I mean, you're a celebrity in Northwest Arkansas. Yeah, absolutely insane how mm-hmm. well they treat you. Um, and it's only gotten better since I've left. So I can't even imagine what it is now. But it's just, um, you know, just how, how much fans care about college baseball mm-hmm. is second to none. Yeah, at a place like this. And that's not even getting into, I mean, you got 12,000 fans on an SEC weekend. We've got this brand new player development building. Uh, Graciously, uh, kind of spearheaded by the Hunt family, that is thirty million dollar building, give or take. Um, there's just so many resources here that you, as a player, um, have access to, and it's just if you don't get to your potential as a player coming here, it was on you. Like you just you you didn't use <laughs> it, you didn't maximize. That's what we tell guys is that like you can be as yeah. good as you want. Um, That's a fair assessment. The way, yeah, the way you are treated here and the what you have access to. And, you know, I mean, a lot of people talk about getting to play in the SEC. Like, our sell is you you get to come here with a chance to win the SEC. Like, it's not like we're just mm-hmm. playing in it. It's like we're, we're here to win it. And so not a lot of places can say that is that you also – obviously, you're getting to play in the league, but you're you're set up to, to, to be in a place where you can win it. Um, obviously, mm-hmm. you know, going to the College World Series, we've been very fortunate enough to – I mean, since Coach Van Horn's been here, somewhat consistent, which is, which is remarkable. Um, and so now yeah. you're having a chance. To, to play in Omaha and compete for national championships. So in terms of just a college baseball experience, there, there, there's not a box this place doesn't check. I actually want to ask about the College World Series thing because it's obviously very difficult to get there. It's even harder to be able to go there repeatedly over longer periods of time. Uh, on a year-to-year sort of expectations basis, do you tell each team just, hey, like this is the expectation. This is like, this is what we're going for um we don't you know don't care about what happened last year um this year it's you know it's go big or go home or is it like okay yeah great great job last year like we're gonna see what happens this year you know we're not we're not trying to like you know make it so if you don't make it all the way it's a it's a failure yeah so i think it kind of goes without saying what the expectation is every year and it's Okay. in June. Yeah, that's 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 the expectation every year. Um, we don't go. We don't do like a whole lot of talking about it to our players. Like, again, I just think. I mean, there's. I'm you know looking out the window now. I mean, there's just there's signs, there's posters, there's just it's just kind of slaps you in the face everywhere you turn. <laughs> yeah, teams that have gone to experience it and the expectations. So I don't. I don't think that's something that. And Coach Van Horn's big on like we're not gonna we won't talk about Omaha. Like he does. Mm. He'll maybe bring it up once a year. Um, it just kind of, it goes without saying, there's just so much that you have to do and it has to go right to be able to do it. So kind of just like a process over outcome kind of deal. You know, if you're, um, 
you know, if you just dominate the lift that you have today, like that'll, that, that kind of put this on track versus just talking about it. Um, gotcha. Yeah. You know, being about it more than just talking about it. I see. I, yeah. That's when you said process more than outcome, it seems like that is the, the formula that actually yields more results, which is tough again, because college baseball is a very results oriented game. I mean, it's very, is... very easy to talk about it on a podcast. Yeah. It's way harder to like that actually be how you go about your business. Yeah. Totally agree. Yeah. Um, I want to ask if there is something you would tell yourself on day one of coaching. Uh, if you go back in time, at least to tell yourself on day one of coaching, uh, maybe a lesson that you've learned up until this point. Yeah. I mean, I guess there'd be a lot of things to say, man, the main thing. Yeah. Yeah. Just to, you know, and I'd like to think I do a good job of this, but just like, I, you never want to lose sight of why you do it. Mm. You know, it's always about just impacting lives, loving kids. Like that, that's why you coach. If you're not in it for that reason, you know, you're not, you're not going to enjoy it. You're in it for the wrong reasons. So, Mm. you know, lose on a Friday night and I'm, fired up at one of the guy hey why it's gonna be all good like why why did you coach like why why are you in this business you weren't in this business to win games on a friday night it was to be there for guys impact lives so i think Mm. you know just shoot that's good for me for me to hear all the time just you know never lose sight of why you're doing it no matter the pressures the stresses whatever it's just you know why why did you become a coach at the start yeah i mean that is after all, it, I think that's a reassuring thing for players to hear, too, is that the coaches are there for you, not for themselves. I, I know for me as a player, that is that is something that I enjoy hearing. And when a coach shows that, it's very reassuring. Um, mm-hmm. This is my last question. Um, it's about recruiting trips or recruiting visits. So I want to ask just like if you have any memorable like recruiting trips or visits you've taken or if it's just like an encounter with a player. It could even be a current player that you guys that you've had as, you know, a player at your school. It could be a recruit that you had just like a funny little story about kind of like the behind the scenes, you know, occurrences of what goes on uh, in your life as a coach. So. I guess a good recruiting story. I guess it's it's for it's me when I was a player. Okay. I I start as a I start in junior college, Neosho County Community College mm. in uh, Kansas, Southeast Kansas. Um, really good junior college program. We were fortunate enough to go to the JUCO World Series my year. Like had an unbelievable mm. experience. No way I could have played at Arkansas without going there. Like I grew up a lot as a as a kid and developed like just unbelievable experience. Mm. And I remember my official visit there. It's in Chinook, Kansas, which that's about, I mean, it, it, what you're picturing in your head is exactly what it was. You know, the one <laughs> stoplight, uh, it was middle of nowhere, Kansas. Um, yeah. And I love it. So our official visit, I'll never forget, we go all-you-can-eat Pizza Hut buffet. Oh. And I'm just fired up. Great, great, great visit. Loved it. I mean, I, that's who I am. Mm. And so a year later, I'm on my official visit to Arkansas. And it's obviously a little bit different. So we're going to a really nice steakhouse. I'm enjoying, I'm just, I'm, this is where I'm coming. Are you kidding me? Like you tell me a year ago that I get to play at Arkansas. I'm yeah. tickled to death. And uh, they have any questions. And I asked, 
you know, in my junior college, I, I had to fundraise some money. Do I need to fundraise here being serious? And they looked at me like I had 14 eyes. I was so embarrassed. I, I didn't know. I just assumed everybody went <laughs> to fundraise a little bit. And so that's, I think, when uh, I knew a little bit less bus rides, a little more plane ride. Like, that's when I knew, all right, plan, plan at a place like this is going to be a little different. But, I mean, I still get a little bit of crap today about asking if, if I had to fundraise a little bit of money. Um, wow. Oh just, my gosh. <laughs> yeah, it was a little bit embarrassing, but it just um it was cool for me. It was it was great that I got to go to junior college first because it just it just made me appreciate everything else. Oh um, yeah. I've gotten to experience so much more. Uh -huh. um, Absolutely. I, mean, I, I think I've always joked about this. I think guys should be required to go to your junior college. You can't do it, but I mean they would just make <laughs> you learn about yourself, life, everything. Jinko yeah. baseball. Awesome. It's a great, great place to go. I got to do it for a year. Or two. Santa yeah. Barbara City. Santa Barbara City College. Yeah. yeah. And again, like you're talking about your junior college. Like I was spoiled with mine. We were right across yeah. the water. Like, yeah, I, I, I can't complain with my experience. That's a fake, but That's a fake Juco right there. That's fake. Oh, Juco. yeah. Yeah. It's fake. You know, I'm not, I'm not no bandit. I don't even claim that. But I do think, like, like you're saying, it makes you appreciate everything so much more. Mm -hmm. It's crazy. I mean, oh my gosh, Tulane over here. It's an all turf field, right? Santa Barbara city college. I'm playing at a public park. So like you said, just going from that. Oh my gosh. The juxtaposition of it all. It really puts things into perspective. That's so funny that you say that. Um, I was, I, I was, I, I was just like, I was straight fit. Yeah. Like, so like, what do we need to fundraise here? Like, what do I need to be prepared to like raise? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> thankfully thankfully the, there wasn't anything that i needed to do yeah they're like well i mean if you want uh you can do a camp they, should, or they were smart yeah they should have just i asked and i should have just gotten yeah. put on some fundraising project and, and then everyone would have been like this guy's he's different oh my gosh look at him he's a one he's of a fundraiser kind. on his own yeah yeah he's fundraising for his own <laughs> tuition right here my gosh oh man that's that's a great little story um I think that's everything I have for you. Um, I don't know if there's any last questions I had that I that I missed or didn't really cover, but I think the last thing I'll ask of you is kind of just to give really like a like a sign off, kind of just like um, anything you'd like to say to like younger players, maybe players who are, you know, you guys are recruiting or kids that, you know, you haven't even identified yet or even parents that um, want to know more about your guys' university. Um, really just just kind of like get a sense of what, what you guys are all about besides all the stuff that you just said for the last hour plus. Yeah, I was going to say, you know, whenever the you kind of asked a little bit earlier, like the sales pitch um, mm. for Arkansas, so just without regurgitating that too much, just, you know, we feel that this is the best place to, to play college baseball in the country for a variety of reasons, whether it be, you know, develop you um, – to play in the major leagues, playing mm -hmm. from, um, you know, the best fans in college baseball, giving yourself a chance to uh, play in Omaha, compete for a national championship. You know, the, I, we feel very passionate that where the program is right now, there, there isn't a box that it doesn't check. Um, so, yeah, that's just, uh, it's, it's kind of on the player, you know, if you can get it as good as you want here. Um, mm. So that's, I guess, the, the, the message to, uh, to the guys that we're recruiting or potentially going to recruit down the road. Well, you can't argue with that. I mean, if, it, if you guys are giving them everything, I mean, that's – what else can you ask for? You can't ask for any more, right? Um, well, Bobby, I mean, thank you for the time. Um, I really appreciate you coming on. And um, Appreciate you, yeah. 
yeah, I guess that's, that's really all I have left for, uh, for the episode. So, um, yeah, thanks again. I no, appreciate you, Jack. Good luck with, uh, spring training and, uh, yeah, I'll be following your career for sure. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, all right. Well, I guess that's going to do it for the episode and I'm going to talk to you really briefly right after this, but, um, yeah, that's going to do it for, for this week.